I've asked Nicole, my beautiful wife of 31 years, to join me today because of what we're going to talk about. And, um, and I felt like uh, it was important for her to be a part of this. And um, how many of you husbands that have been married a while, you're still dating your wife? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good because we went out Thursday night and it was spectacular. I just want to let you know I enjoyed it. Okay. That's great. I didn't even that get an amen on the that. Plan. That's all right. Hey, would you guys, let me see first of all. I just, while you're getting your stuff together, well, you've got your stuff together when you get green. I just wanted to look at our family. You may think I'm looking at you during worship. I, I'm, I'm really looking at him and, and a lyric here and, here, here and there, but, but I don't see what I see now. And at the time, this is such a precious time. Thank you for asking me to, jo- to join you because as pastors, we see you. And we see your hearts. We see your struggles. We see your joys. We see your heartaches. And we do not know everything. Holy Spirit does not reveal to us everything. So don't be like, oh, you know, but, but as pastors, we just want you to know that as when, when Phil prepares, when we prepare together, whatever the word is for that day, it has been prayed over and it is a word for now and it is to feed you. And whenever we speak, we're held twice I've always said with, with children, you know, to teach is to learn twice. So you may think, well, I'm not qualified to work in kids because I don't know enough. To teach is to learn twice. So whenever you're giving a word, if it's to children, to a Bible study, to a Bible group, to, uh, to, the, to the family on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, just know that we're feeding on this same word as we give it to you. And it's, it's twice for us because it's such a timely word, I feel. And, and we want it to, it's, 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 not a, it's not a heavy word, but it's, it's a timely, weighty word because we want you to be healed. We want you to be, walk in health. We want you to walk in the favor of God. We want you to not lack in anything. We want you to be overcomers. As, as parents and grandparents and singles and, and, and everybody in between. So this word today, just, just receive it where you're at and say, I'm taking this and I'm, this wisdom and I'm, and I'm going forward. I'm going forward with it. So I just, I just, it was in my spirit this morning to just be like, wow, look what we get to do. All the years that we've, that we've sown into, into people and we've said a lot of highs and goodbyes. Because when you travel, it's a lot of hellos and goodbyes. But God has us in our season now where we get to say, hi, where were you? Or hi, missed you. Hi, we get to see you week after week. And we're doing life with you day after day, week after week. And we're just so humbled and honored. And thank you for letting us be, be, be leaders in the house. And so we love you guys. Love you guys. Yeah, amen. Good word. Wow. I knew I wanted her to come for a reason. Would you turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Philemon? How about Philemon? How many of you spend time with that? Go to the Somebody might say, is that in the Old Testament? No, it's in the New. 
Just go to Revelation, turn left, slow down when you hit Hebrews. It's nestled between Hebrews and Titus. And Nicole knows the whole song. When uh, Nicole and I, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky for eight years. And uh, you can tell that we lived there because I know how to say it, Louisville. They train you when you move there. They tell you how to say the word. It's not Louisville. It's not Louisville. We're from Northwest Arkansas now because we can say Fettville. Fayetteville. You know. It's what? Right. Come on. Yeah. She can. I haven't spent enough time down there apparently. (laughs) But. But when I was in Louisville, Kentucky, I don't know why, but the Lord just really had me on this um, study for three years solid on healing. I just began, I was reading the Gospels a lot, and as I was reading the Gospels, I was seeing where Jesus healed them all. And Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he was healing people. And I said, God, I want to learn everything that the Bible has to say about healing. And so, so I spent a lot of time and going over messages on healing, listening, uh, digging in the word and finding scriptures on healing. I've been to, I begin to quote 60 different scriptures every day just on healing. And, um, and then I got a hold of, somebody gave me Dodie Osteen's book. That's Joel Osteen's mom. John Osteen was her husband. They started Lakewood down there in Houston. And she, they gave me her book called Healed of Cancer. And I loved her story because of everything that she walked through. And then in the very back of the book, she gave, she gave you the 40 scriptures. And actually, we have this book for free if you want a copy of it. But she put 40 scriptures in there on healing that God spoke to her as she was walking through cancer. She had uh, been given the diagnosis that um, she had metastatic cancer of the liver. She was basically sent home to die about two to three weeks to live leading up to Christmas. And now I'm excited to say that, uh, and you've got to read her book to really hear the story. Um, but 20 years later, and now 30 years plus later, here she is still on earth, kicking, working for God, doing an amazing job. And God completely healed her of cancer, but it was, a, it was, a, it was over a year-long process. But also what I'm hearing you say is, Sickness and disease has no, it, it'll, it, it could hit anybody. Yeah. It doesn't matter your title, your, your, your status in life, your, the color of your skin, the, 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 the language you speak. It's not prejudice. But it also heard that healing is for everyone. Yeah. It does not matter the color of your skin, your status in life, whomever. Jesus healed them all. So that I, cross proves it right there. Yep. Yeah, it does. And so as I began to study, then suddenly opportunities arose. I got to pray for a guy that he was healed of cancer. And then um, my mom, many of you know her story, she experienced a massive heart attack. 16 days later, she walked out of the hospital, uh, completely whole and healthy. And, uh, and then my daughter um, broke her arm she, in an accident, and we prayed for her. God healed her arm. And so there were all these different miracles that God did in it. In fact, one lady even knocked on my door and she pushed a guy into my front door when I opened it. And she said, here, I'm going to watch his little girl. He was just diagnosed, so pray for him. So, you know, word was kind of getting around. And, and so there was a business coach that I had, and his name was Bruce at the time. And we would meet together pretty regularly and talk about things and the ministry that we were doing. We had an outreach ministry there in Louisville. And so he was just helping coach me through some things. And, but he, he was a cessationist. So what a cessationist is, is someone that believes that all of that ended with the apostles. That that was good in the Bible, but that's not necessarily applicable today. 
And so he said, I just, I really struggle in the area of healing. And yet there were people in his family that had um, incurable diseases. And he was wondering why God wasn't heal them, healing them. And so it was like an oxymoron in his life. And, and so I said, well, do me a favor. Read, read the Gospels. I want to challenge you in this. Read the four Gospels and show me a time because he believed that sometimes it's God's will that people didn't get healed. I said, show me a time where Jesus refused to heal somebody because it was his will that they have the sickness. So we met a couple weeks later and he said, you know, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find a time. This is good news because Jesus is the healer. And so we want to talk about him this morning. We want to talk about Jesus, the healer in particular. And I I want to minister some things from my heart. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you some things that are hindrances to praying and believing for yourself. I think oftentimes people, and, and see if you would agree with this, if people... Uh, sometimes when I'm praying for other people, it's easier to have faith for them as opposed to myself. It seems like there's things to filter through. It seems like there's more, you know, um, involved. And as I was studying on this, I was realizing some things that, so this message, I said that to say, this message is to help you figure out what needs to happen in you so that you can clear a pathway for the healer to come in. So the things I'm getting ready to give you are things that can help you clear the path so the healer can come and do what he does, and that's Jesus, amen? amen. So first of all, Jesus said this in Mark 2, verse 17. He said, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was referred to as the great physician. But I want to read to you what Billy Graham had to say about this. I thought it was so interesting. He said, when you are sick... He said, when we're sick, we go to the doctor and he prescribes medication. If we decide to ignore his advice and refuse the prescription, the symptoms can grow worse. Should, uh, should we hold the doctor responsible because our symptoms got worse? He said, no, because we refused the remedy. So my desire this morning, my hope is that we will receive the remedy this morning. Amen? How many of you would agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And we don't want you to be looking through the wrong end of the telescope. We've all been given perspective. We've all been, we all have our, what we're looking at. Are we looking through the wrong end of the telescope and seeing everything is, God's just so small. He can't handle it. This is too big. I'm just going to try and do this myself. We need to change our perspective and look at God through the eyes of what can't he do? Yeah. I mean, the very fact that we're sitting here on a planet with air sustaining us on chairs that are made out of material that came from the planet that we're living on, that says, this is the house that Jack built, you know, kind of thing. It just is, and it all points back to Jesus. Yeah. That's God. Yeah. So the first one we want to bring up, these are hindrances to believing God in faith for healing. Here's the first one, self-dependence. You know, I've got experience, you know, I know what to do, I know where to go, I know, I know the next steps, I know how to solve this problem. We turn into problem solvers. It's amazing to me as you tell stories, everybody turns into a doctor when you're not feeling well. You know, have you ever noticed that? You know, you start talking about a movie, everybody turns into a director. 
you know, or everybody turns into a wardrobe expert, you know, or you're watching football, everybody turns into the coach, the line coach, you know, I mean, I mean, we're really good at being experts, but we are not when it relates to healing. Let me encourage you. Let the first place that you go to be the throne room. Go to Jesus. I, I am not, I'm an advocate for doctors. In fact, when my mom was experiencing her massive heart attack, the very first place that I went with her was prayer. I laid my hands on her and I said, I speak life, health, and wholeness into my mom's body now in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart immediately and said, take her to the hospital. What I didn't know was that the, the cardiologist had just finished a surgery and he lived 30 minutes from the hospital. So he had just wrapped up and was getting ready to leave as we were coming into the hospital. And he was able to do surgery on her, replace the stent, and take care of the heart attack, that part of the heart attack. So, so the Holy Spirit knows, my point is this, he knows more than you do. Look at your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit knows more than you do. Oh, come on, spouses. He knows, he knows more, yeah. He does. He knows more. I know, I know this may seem like a very elementary revelation, but do you know how many of us need this revelation in our life that he knows more than we do? Amen. James 14 says, you have not because you, you ask not. Oftentimes we don't have stuff. We don't have information that we need. We don't have an inside track because we didn't take time to pray. Lord, help us. I, I looked for my keys for over an hour one time, and then it finally dawned on me. I can pray. The Holy Spirit knows where my keys are. And I pray. I know, again, elementary, right? Should have had a V8. Prayed. What happened? I found my keys. It was amazing. Wow. Imagine that. So We want you to let go of whatever is making you stop. Come on. And that may be excuses. Zach said earlier something about, um, uh, oh, I just lost it. Um, tolerate, you know, we don't want to tolerate things. What you tolerate, you celebrate. So wake up to the fact, walk aware of the fact that you're done with pain, you're done with sickness and disease. There was a man in the Bible in John 5, verses 1 through 14, it's the story of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus, the healer, was walking by, and he asked the man who notably needed healing, he said, would you like to be well? It's a yes or no question. The man said, whoa, I have nobody. He gave excuses after excuse after excuse. Oh, my word. Zip it. And allow yourself to just say yes or no. Zip this so that you're not hindering God from doing what he wants to do. Excuses usually only satisfy the person that's using them. So excuses can be a form of self-dependence. Can be a, well, I can't because. Well, I would, but I, because the... You're giving excuse. Well, I can't eat that. Well, okay, that's okay. But just say, I choose not to partake in that or whatever, you know? Don't 
curse yourself by this right here. And stop the excuses. And and I'm talking to all of us in the room. We can all get better at this. So keep the door open. Every excuse. I, I tell you, this morning in prayer, when I was going over this in my spirit, I hit the, the, the carpet because I was thinking of the woman with the issue of blood who had every legitimate excuse not to be out in public. But she wanted Jesus more than her excuses. I want to be like her in that I don't, I don't want any excuses to keep me from the hem of his garment. And she went low. And I went low this morning and I said, Jesus, I just want you. I don't want my excuses of the past, present, or future. I want you, only you. I don't want to depend upon me. I want him. Man, when you said, when you were talking about the pool, I was thinking, man, how many of us are so focused and we're trying figuring out how can I get in the pool quicker when the healer is standing right here? Lord, I have no one, Lord. I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. Have you heard about this guy? Have you heard who he is? It's like, okay. All right. Number two, let's move on to the next one. Lack of faith. James chapter one, verse six says this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So in verse six, he said, let him ask in faith. In the uh, Faith Life Study Bible, it says this about that, the, that phrase, in faith. James describes faith that manifests itself in action. God hears the prayers of those whose lives demonstrate that they have faith in him. If you have faith, then you're going to see it. It's going to be visible. It's revealed in actions. I've shared this before, but I remember this one time when I was so sick, I woke up in the morning that I was having an altar call with the porcelain, you know, the commode, and I was right in front of it, and I was just thinking, any moment now, there's going to be, yeah, you know, toss some cookies. And anyway, and I remember sitting there, and I asked the Lord specifically as I was hugging the toilet, I said, Lord, what does faith look like right now? Because I really wanted to understand healing. I I really wanted to walk in healing. And all he said back to me was, what would someone who's healed do? I said, well, in my mind, they would get up and they would get dressed, take a shower, get dressed, go to work. He didn't say anything else. He didn't have to. I knew what I needed to do. And it took steps of slow steps of faith to get up and push off of the porcelain and make myself turn the shower on and shower and get dressed. But do you know, three hours later at work, I totally forgot I was even sick. I wasn't sick anymore. Noon rolled around, I was ready to eat. But I realized it was the action, it was the corresponding action with my declaration of faith. Oh, we're real good as believers saying the right things. Well, we got this lingo down, you know? Oh, we can, we can talk Christianese, but it's, it's just words unless it has corresponding action with it. Yeah. Amen? Well, you want to believe your beliefs and doubt, doubt your, your doubts. doubts. Yeah. Simple as that. And 
It was so, so simple. You, the first thing you did was you asked, Holy, you asked the Lord what to do. What do I do? Every time if I get sniffles or if I get something, I'll, I'll ask, because it's all different. It's, it's, it, you, don't, you don't fight it the same way all the time. But I'm like, okay, Lord, what, how do you want me to handle this? And that's even in interpersonal relationships or conversations, but especially when it comes to your healing. Do you know that a common cold was designed to kill you? Was designed to knock you out? Some of you act like you're dying when you're really not, but I'm, ta- I'm just saying. I'm just, <laughs> what I'm saying is everything on this earth is designed to deplete us, but God sustains us. And if he's the healer, okay, Lord, what do I do? And he may say, drink lots of water, you know, flush that out. He knows what we need, even when we don't. So believe your beliefs. Doubt sees the obstacles, but faith sees the way. Back to that that perspective. What are you looking at? what, What end of the telescope are you looking at in your situation? We can't, but God can. Now, I told you to, I know I told you to turn to Philemon, but I want to read a scripture first out of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, because I feel like this third one is interesting. Kind of the, the first three have a lot, deal with faith quite a bit, but this one is questioning his willingness, questioning his willingness. I personally don't believe, if I was to take a poll in here, and, and I believe many of you are Christians, if not all of you, hopefully, um, but how many of you believe that God is able He's able to do, he's able to heal, able to do whatever he said. Okay, yeah, and, and I would say that's the vast majority of everybody that knows God. No one questions his ability. What they question most of the time that I hear is his will, his will. And this scripture deals so well with this because Jesus is, is walking and a leper comes to him. And this leper says to him an interesting statement in uh, Matthew 8, verse 2. This is his question. See if this sounds familiar. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he doesn't question his ability because he says, you can make me clean. I know it. But where he's questioning is, if, are you willing? Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean clean. This is where I find that a lot of Christians are at. Maybe this is where you're at this morning. Maybe you're questioning because you've had the sickness for a while or it's been difficult to get rid of or it's, you know, it's been something that has, has been more difficult to fight. Listen to what Jesus said. First of all, how he responds, Jesus reaches out and he touches him. This was forbidden for Jews. This was a significant act. Because it's forbidden for Jews to touch lepers. Why? Because they are very contagious. So if you touched one, you would have to declare yourself now unclean. You would have to pull away from the community. You'd have to wear a mask and you'd have to, sorry, you would have to be far away from the community and social distance yourself and yell, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. So he reaches out and he touches them. But what does Jesus say? The first three words, let's say them together. I am willing. I am willing. Oh, some of you probably need to print this on a piece of paper and stick it on your bathroom mirror where you can see it every day. So you understand what Jesus' will is for your life. He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately that leprosy was gone. I have a story about this. Not about leprosy, but about the big ask. Sometimes we think the ask is too big. 
or you know, it, is that too lavish to ask for? When the Lord had called us, our family out and back in 2011, th- 13, to, to start traveling. Well, the first initial excitement of it all was we're, we're selling our house, we're giving our vehicles away, we're everything we don't want to store, we're, we're giving away. And so those three months, it was like, okay, but God, you've got this, you've got this. And so my husband and children started talking about, let's just get a motorhome, live in a motorhome. And I've, I didn't live in a motorhome back when I was a teenager, but we had one that we traveled full-time on the road, but we went from church to church, so it was a beginning and a destination, and then the churches would put us up, but we stayed in that motorhome to get us in between. And it's not the most glorious life, and it's not as most exciting as what you think it would be, and so I didn't want to you know, rain on their parade, but I was just like, uh, do they really know what they're asking for, you know? And then I started thinking... That's kind of big to ask. You know, here we are, go, missionaries going out on the road. We want to be totally debt-free, no, no challenges. We still needed income, you know, to, to, to live, to, to, to eat. But I was like, wow, a motorhome, that's just, that's... God. And I remember saying, Lord, that just seems to be too big for me to ask you for that. But I didn't vocalize that to my family. And then one day, I just got on board. I said, you know what? I'm just going to hook my faith up with them, and I'm just going to let them talk about it. Let them, let them be excited about it and, and just see what God's going to do. And within that three months, God gave us a 20, 38-foot, 38-foot with a slide motorhome. Here you go. It needed renovated, it needed cleaned up, but you know what, our kids had already seen God work in the past. Always include your children in your ask to God and in the answer when it comes in. Never shelter them from, well, we got this, we don't wanna talk about, no, include your kids in your miracles. So when this miracle came in, they didn't look at it and go, is this all God, you know, uh, what? They were like, yeah, we, you know, yeah. I mean, their, our faith was just huge. And if you can't believe God right now for a motorhome, believe him for a pair of socks. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. So many times people hear, hear the, the end game, but they haven't seen the process. Don't focus on the product, work on the process to get you there. And so that's how you build your faith, line upon line, here a little, there a little, consistency. Not so much intensity. Intensity's, yeah, here we go, and then over time it kind of dwindles. But consistency is, yeah, every time I'm there. You know, faith without, without, um, no, yes, but no. Um, I said it back at the, at, the, at, the, at the tea for the women. But anyway, faith without hope. Faith without hope is weird. We have to keep that hope, that consistency of hope, because the faith is there where we, we believe God for it, but the hope is, the, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. It's coming, it's coming. Whatever you're believing for, we're in the season of hope. Jesus is coming. Mary and Joseph, the donkey's closer it's closer to Bethlehem. It's closer today than it was yesterday. And in 2023, Jesus is closer to coming back every day. So we've got to be about believing God's word and doubting the voices that do not line up with his word. That's what I loved about Jacob's uh, testimony was that he experienced it, you know? 
And it's not about where it came from because all of us, you know, especially as dads, because sometimes we flow in that El Shaddad anointing, you know, where we get to participate. But, but I love that testimony because Jacob saw that he had sowed and it came back. He didn't know how it was going to come back. And his dad didn't know that he had sowed, you know, and he was faithful to it. But let me give you this word in conjunction with what Nicole was saying as well, because this is important. You are not facing anything in your life currently that God hasn't, is not, that you're not prepared for. Let me say it this way. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you were able, but he will make a way of escape for you. This is why we have to get him involved. He has got to be the first thing in the process of figuring out how to deal with situations. When he tells you to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. I, I want him involved in what's happening. Yeah. You know, when, uh, <clears throat> anyway, we to, better. To your point, the very fact that we're sitting in this room, we got through the, the last challenge. We got through the last despairing moment. How am I going to make it another day? And here we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So number four, here's the fourth one, unforgiveness. To me, this is probably one of the biggest that I've seen. So we're gonna, so did you find Philemon yet? Okay, good. Yeah, if you, uh, if you turn there, and then Philemon is an interesting guy because he's not, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except in this letter that Paul writes to him. And through the letter, we discover kind of who he is, that he's, um, he has a large household, he's got servants, and there's a church that meets in his house, and he's, uh, he's a guy apparently that possibly Paul had led to the Lord, he had worked with Paul at some time prior to that. But Philemon had a servant named Onesimus. And Onesimus, apparently, maybe he stole something from the household and, and he fled, but he did something to hurt Philemon and maybe even a couple of other people in the family, and he fled. But he was caught, and then he was thrown in prison. And guess where he was thrown in prison? Where Paul is. <laughs> so, so Paul promptly shares the gospel with him, and he has, Philemon has an encounter with God. His life is completely transformed. And so Paul writes a letter, and he sends it with Philemon because Philemon is getting out of prison, and now he's sending him back. No, I'm sorry, Onesimus is getting out of prison, thank you, and now is, and he's sending him back to Philemon. So it picks up here in verse eight. This is the letter that Paul writes. He says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you being such as one as Paul, the aged and now also the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be of compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, listen to this, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, 
but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And then he says in verse seven, I'm gonna get to verse 18. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. Think about that. He's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus the way that he would receive Paul if Paul himself came. And then verse 18, he said, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. So Paul wanted Philemon to respond to Onesimus and forgive and restore him the same way that Jesus responds and restores us. I preached a message a few weeks ago, or now actually it was before, it was back in uh, October, on forgiveness. And we talked about forgiveness, that forgiveness is something that you give. It's, it's free. Now, sometimes we have people that break trust. Trust is not the same as forgiveness, okay? I mean, I know sometimes you have to set boundaries or, you, or that has to be rebuilt, but forgiveness is something that's always free. It's something that you give that they can see it on you. For those world changers out there that are taking notes, here's a great little formula for how to, how to rebuild trust. Time, it's like, it's like a mathematical equation. Time or consistency over time equals trust. Consistency over time equals trust. So it can be rebuilt. There is hope. But it doesn't happen tomorrow. So consistency over time will help you rebuild trust. Well, cringe, that took me back to fractions for a minute. <laughs> <clears throat> because it, uh, here's, here's, here's the thing with Philemon. The Paul is saying, listen, when he comes back, don't treat him as a slave. But you receive him as a brother, although he's a servant in your house. You receive him as a brother, I thought this was interesting because when people commit themselves to Christ, they also commit themselves to a community. Mm. There is an importance in fellowship because you become like the people that you hang around. You rub off on each other. Have you ever met a happy hermit? Mm -hmm. No, there's a reason that they're a hermit. They don't want to be around people. And so the bad side of that is they don't get developed. They don't learn any tolerance. They don't learn how to be kind, how to be patient, how to walk in love with people. This is the importance of this community as a church. It's the importance of us getting to know each other and knowing each other beyond the pew. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm preaching now. I'm getting... No, but we need this in our life. I need people that don't agree with me. I need people that can speak different perspectives into my life so that I can process that. Sometimes it changes me because I need changed in an area. Oftentimes it doesn't. Oftentimes I learn how to be friends with someone that I don't see 100% eye to eye with. And there's so much growth that happens in this, but we want everything to be hunky-dory all the time. But Jesus said, what profit is it to you if you love those who love you back? It also sounds, he said, even the heathens do that. Yeah, it also sounds like you're talking about proximity. proximity. How can iron sharpen iron if you never get close enough to, to, to sharpen each other? So proximity. And there's means, a grind to sharpen iron. Yeah. So that means, oh, Jesus, as was his custom, went to the temple. That's that means, what he did. That means somebody rubbing you wrong smooths you out. 
Honey, you're smooth. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's read another scripture. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. (laughs) I knew I had you up here for a reason. 5.23. Says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way, First be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. So before you pray and you ask God for that request that you have, ask the Holy Spirit, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone I need to go to that we have been like this and we need to come together and be reconciled? Is there anybody that has something against me is what this says. If, if there's a brother that has something against you, so that wasn't your fault. Somebody has taken offense. This is so common in the body of Christ. I've seen more offense in my lifetime now than I've ever seen it growing up. You know, because we we tolerate so little, but my responsibility is if you're offended against me is I need to go to you Mm -hmm. and try to square that. So we're not asking you to dig back in your childhood and go, well, why am I like this? It's because, no, no, no. Holy Spirit is here and now. Holy Spirit can just, you know, you know when there's something there that you need to clear the air on, right? And so, um, yeah, the, the spiritual way... Some people way, don't want to ask the Holy Spirit The spiritual because... way to mask um, offense, and by the way, you can't give an offense. You can only take an offense. Um, but you, I've heard it so many times, well, I've been hurt in the church. Church hurt is a Christian way to say I'm offended without having to really repent about it. Because it was done to you. I know that's a hard word. We love, love, love you. And this is to us too. You've got to keep our our hearts clean and pure before God. We don't want any hindrances to 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 stop to 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 hinder what God wants to do in our life. And there's been so many, so many, so many studies done to to sickness and disease rooted in our bodies connected to something as simple as offense. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And when that unforgiveness, and so when you deal with the unforgiveness, sometimes the healing goes. I mean, you know, the the, the sickness and disease goes, the healing comes, and you're like, what? I didn't, the enemy, see, we're trying to also unmask the enemy's ploys. Because so much of it can be, it can be glossed over in the Christian realm, in the Christian world that it's so spiritual. No, it's pretty practical. It's pretty practical, and we're practical people. Have, you know, we're spirits, yes, but we're spirits having, having a physical encounter, a physical experience, you know? But when we get out of all of this convoluted communication, and what does the word say? Forgive my brother. How many times? Seven times, 70, you know? 70 times seven. But it's clear. We all know what it says. Do we all, it's easy to go, oh, I know what that says, but it's another thing to do it. Every time, every time, wake up and say, I choose to forgive today, no matter what comes my way, because you know what, if you're breathing, it's a coming. (laughs) There there was a young lady that uh, Nicole and I knew personally, and she was a talented, beautiful young lady. She had, uh, she was married, had three kids, and um, she, I mean, was just an amazing, artistic, creative person. And she allowed offense toward her in-laws. 
at the time who were her pastors um, to just fester. And it grew into bitterness and resentment. And it, it just really took root in her life. And she refused to forgive them. Over time, a sickness developed in her. And it was, I don't know what it was called, but it was a kind of sickness where you lose, progressively lose function of parts of your body. And so she did. She began to lose functions of her body. Well, a good friend of ours who was better friends with them than we were would go and would encourage them to, to forgive her in-laws. She refused to. Pretty soon she was walking on a cane. She had lost more function. Then pretty soon she was on a walker. Then later she was restricted in, to, in a bed. And she was, about, she was starting to lose her ability to speak. <clears throat> and her friend went one last time. She had gone so many times and encouraged her and encouraged her to, this, to the extent that she would get mad at her for even bringing it up. And she threw one last Hail Mary and told us pray and we prayed. And, and I remember, and we don't know if she forgave or not, but she went home to be, I mean, she stepped into eternity in that condition. You know, so we've seen it firsthand, but let me tell you another a, a good news. Now that I've told you a, a bad story, let me tell you a good one. There, there was this pastor that he was coming out after service one night and a young, young mother with her baby in her car, she pulled up next to him as he was getting ready to leave and she jumped out of the car and she said, would you pray for my baby? Her baby was crying and you could, hear, you could see it didn't feel well. And she said, would you pray for my baby? Well, as soon as she asked him, the Holy Spirit said to him, ask her about her home life. How are things with her and her husband? So he did. And she said, oh, it's awful. It's awful. We fight constantly, all the time. She said, in fact, we had, we had a really bad fight just before I came over here. And the Holy Spirit said, tell her if she'll go home and reconcile with her husband and forgive him, this will go away. And he told her that, found out two weeks later that that's exactly, she came running up to him. She said, she said, exactly what you said was exactly right. I went home, we reconciled, and the baby's sickness went away. So I'm not, I'm saying it's connect, it can be connected. Unforgiveness can be detrimental. Listen to what Jesus said in, in John chapter 20. Jesus, he appears to the disciples. He's already, he's already risen from the dead. So he appears to the disciples one last time and he says, peace be with you. And, and he shows them the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. And then he says, then he does this. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, be born again. They become born again at that moment. But listen to what Jesus says next after, after he says that. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That seems like an odd place to say that right after somebody has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He goes right into forgiveness. And listen to how he says it again. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Puts the responsibility of walking in forgiveness in our hands. Mm -hmm. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain them, they are retained. Let me tell you, by retaining unforgiveness, trying to make somebody else pay for what they did and punish them, you're not hurting them. It's hurting you. You're drinking poison and and hoping that it will kill somebody else. And it's not, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Wow. Well, I'm going to ask Rebecca to come. Um, 
I had a couple more and I want to touch on them real quick um, because, because I want to get to the last one. You think we're all right? No, I said Okay. So, so this is important, a lack of prayer and a lack of time in scripture. Prayer, because Jesus came to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, what, could you not pray one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. There's something about prayer that helps keep you from the power of the enemy being able to tempt you the way that he can. And it's important, especially when you're praying for healing and those types of things. Scripture, listen to this, listen to this out of Proverbs 28 verse 9. It says, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. One who turns his ear away from scripture, from reading the word of God, from reading it and obeying it, even his prayer is an abomination to God. Think about that. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah, if you're, if you're not, if you're pulling away from the word, if you're pulling away from being obedient, you have a request that you need to make known. Like I said, Jesus is the healer. So I don't want you to see these as a formula. I want you to see them as a way to clear the path for the healer to come in. Amen? And then the last one is this. Disobedience to God's word.